Good morning. I got 50 minutes to preach. But I only got about 30 minutes of sermon. What am I going to do? I guess we could just let the Spirit move us, and, and, uh, which is always a good idea. So we'll see how it goes. We welcome you this morning. If you've been joining us now for the first time, we're in a series of messages entitled How to Live a Victorious Christian Life. And that presumes that there are going to be times in our Christian life when we don't have victory. We're trying to learn how to have that. And so we've selected these topics, uh, and, and we'll have the whole rest of the month of August. We'll finish it up the last Sunday in August. But uh, we're going to come to a, a few topics that are going to be unusual because we don't preach on them very often. And this morning uh, is like that. It was a quiet house on a quiet street in Houston, Texas. And the reason it was so quiet was because nobody was there. The Lockshin family, father, mother, daughter, and son, had all left. They had left America for the Soviet Union. Recently filled prescription bottles were found in bathroom cabinets on that day when Arnold Lockshin's mother-in-law went to see what, she couldn't raise anybody, she went to see where everybody was at. Nobody was home. A collection of books on Marxism was on the bookshelf. The kids' bicycles were leaning against the garage wall where they left them. Their wedding album was left behind, along with all the kids' pictures and drawings. The entire family had defected. Now, the dictionary defines defection as the desertion of one's country or one's cause in favor of of an opposing one. Have you ever heard a sermon on this? Isn't this odd? I've I've never preached one on this. Now let me say up front, what I'm talking about today is not referring to defecting from a church. I mean, it's sad when that happens. But you know what the truth is? A recent study by the Barner Group, the research group that studies churches, found that 83% of Americans have looked for a new congregation at one time or another. 83%. We don't stay in one place very long, do we? But what's more troubling to me is the 40% of Americans who will change faith during their lifetime. Some change, some change may be relatively minor in the sense of maybe you'll move from maybe a more liberal church to a more conservative church or the other way around. Other changes more radical such as converting from Christianity to, to Judaism, those kind of things. But the kind of defection I want to focus our attention on today is when someone walks away from their relationship with the Lord. As we continue our summer series, I want us to examine this area to discover God's perspective on it. Because maybe you've been in this position, maybe you know someone who has. But we want to find out what God says, find out how, we can, how it can happen, and learn what to do about it. Let's pray before we start. Father, I thank you so much. Another opportunity comes together here for the church family to honor you and to spend time together in worship on the first day of the week. Something we've done many, many, many years. But Father, every time we come together, it's a holy moment. It's a time for thought and consideration and reflection. 
It's a time to evaluate where we are in our walk with you. When we meet around your table as we come to the communion time, is a time of, of looking within. And Lord, I ask that you'd help all of us to ponder this message today. Because it's quite capable, we're very capable of it actually, of, of defecting at any moment in time if our guard is not up. So we thank you, Father, for Jesus who gives us every reason in the world to stay the course. And we pray you'll help us do that individually and always as a congregation. We ask for the strength and power to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to take you to the book of Jeremiah today in the Old Testament and give you an example of what we're talking about. In spite of God's blessing and guidance and all the blessings he poured upon this country, the, the tribe of Judah back in the Old Testament time, they, they really had a tough time staying the course. They were kind of, what's the phrase, wishy-washy. I'm not exactly sure where that comes from, but you know what it means. At times, their hearts would be on fire for the Lord. And then at other times, it didn't take much for their faith to just fizzle out. In fact, sometimes the people just forgot altogether that they'd ever been on fire for anything. And so in the Old Testament book that bears Jeremiah's name, uh, we find that he's referred to as the weeping prophet. He just was so moved to tears by the behavior and attitudes of the very people he'd been called to prophesy to and to instruct and encourage. He spent most of his life trying to clean up the stagnated spiritual lives of these people. But before we look at Jeremiah's message to the people, we need to understand the background. There's always a background. There's always a history. And you need to know that before you can appreciate the rest of the message. The Jewish people had just come out of a time of revival under King Josiah, one of the most amazing kings in Israel's history. And it's hard for us to imagine, but Josiah came to the throne at the tender age of eight years old. He was in the line of succession to come in, and he had some faithful advisors and counselors. But this young man grew up under their guidance, and he began to seek the Lord when he was 16 years old in a powerful way. By the time that Josiah was age 20, he had swept the entire land of, of pagan idols and false gods. Now, you can read all about the things that he did. He had quite a career. This is 2 Kings 22 and also 2 Chronicles 34, if you want to do a little homework today. But what's important about his reign was that as a result, revival came to the nation of Israel. But you know, as often happens, when King Josiah died, the people began to drift back into their old habits. And if you listen carefully as I read Jeremiah's warnings to those people, I think you'll catch a glimpse of how God feels about defections of his people. Let's call our first point, looking into the past. God remembers. Now, you, you, you apply this to your life in the sense of looking into your past. And then we've got looking into the present in a moment, then looking into the future. Okay, here's the first one. First, God tells Jeremiah to remind the people of how things used to be. Did you ever do that? Do you remember the good old days? How many of you can still remember the good old days? 
You know, we, we may have little figments of that that flow around, but it's not always easy, is it? Here's what he said in Jeremiah 2, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me to go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the desert, through a land that was not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest, and all who devoured her were held guilty, and disaster overtook them, declared the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, all you clans of the house of Israel. See, God's, God's calling them to look backward and remember where they started and how they started and all the blessings. Now, that was before. All right. But in the next few verses, the mood changes as God focuses on, focuses on the current attitudes of the people. Let's go look into the present. And God's not going to remember that. He's going to rebuke here. Verse 5. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your fathers find in me that they strayed so far away from me? They followed worthless idols and and became worthless themselves. They did not ask, well, where is the Lord who brought us up out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, through a land of deserts and rifts, a land of drought and darkness, a land where no one travels and no one lives? I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit, and its rich produce. But you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. You see, not only had these people defected, but their prophets and their kings had led the way. He goes on to say, the priests did not even ask, where is the Lord? Those who deal with the law did not know me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal following worthless idols. And speaking through this prophet Jeremiah, God reminds them now of the past. But he also describes the present. So he looks into the future now. And here God reveals. He looks into the future to the place that this defection was going to take his people. And he issues a warning. Verse 17. Have you not brought this on yourselves, this calamity, the problems they were having. Have you not brought this on yourself by forsaking the Lord your God when he led you in the way? Your own wickedness will punish you. Your backsliding will rebuke you. Consider then and realize how evil and bitter it is for you when you forsake the Lord your God and have no awe of me, declares the Lord Almighty. What God is saying to those people then and also to us as well, is that we need to be careful to stay on the right path. They were on the wrong road. He says you're heading the wrong way. But sadly, and what is sad, if you go through the rest of Jeremiah's book, you see that the Lord's warning to these people was totally disregarded. It fell on deaf ears. I could not help as I was thinking about this message to remember how things used to be even here in our country. You know, I grew up in a, a very conservative community, and we'd drive out the driveway to, to go to church, and, and we'd look around, and everybody else would be pulling out of their driveway and going to church. The church was right in the middle of a, of a rather pretty good-sized neighborhood, and I think they did that by design. And, uh, and here were all these folks all going to church. 
I, I, it was the most natural thing you could even imagine for me back in the early 1950s. Now, there are some here that even go back farther than that. We're not going to mention any names. And one of my favorite persons is not here yet. He's second service. But, I mean, the reality is that it was just it was expected. It was just a normal thing for us, for us to go to, what, to worship. And, and I, I didn't know anything any different. But it's tragic when we see what's happened in our country. All kinds of changes have taken place in, in my lifetime. And it's sad, it's sad to me. The steps that led Israel to reject God are the very same ones that every defector takes. However, unlike this family that defected to the Soviet Union... They carefully planned out every step, you know. But most modern defectors are not quite so diligent. So this morning, drawing from the words of the prophet Jeremiah, I want you to think about five specific principles that apply regarding this issue. Five specific principles. Here's the first one. Spiritual defection never just happens suddenly. It never sneaks up on you. You don't wake up in the morning and decide you're, you're going to do this or that or whatever necessarily. In this area, you know, love and loyalty and commitment and faithfulness, all those things are not usually washed away with a flash flood. Instead, it's kind of like the installment plan. It erodes little by little. Bad decision here. Change in lifestyle there. Rarely do we just sell out wholesale. In fact, what's really sad sometimes is when you're not even sure how, how you manage to drift so far away to begin with. It's very insidious. It doesn't happen suddenly. That's the first principle. Number two, defection most often occurs, and this may surprise you, but it most often occurs during times of blessing. And by the way, all these principles are just coming from the life of Israel, the nation of Israel. You know, and, and we, the Old Testament is full of examples of what we're talking about here. The Lord had delivered the nation of Israel from the, the harshness of the deserts of Egypt. And he brought them into a fertile and fruitful land. Listen to Deuteronomy 6.10. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land that's large and flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you didn't even plant. And when you eat and when you're satisfied, then be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. And that principle is absolutely true. How easy it is to forget. When testing and challenges come in our lives, well, we're purified and made stronger. But when prosperity comes, we tend to relax and become more vulnerable. Remember King David for all the good that we know to be true about King David, there was a period in his life when resistance to sin had so declined in his life 
to the point of the adulterous relationship he had with Bathsheba. As 1 Corinthians 10, 12 reminds us, a good verse to keep handy. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Listen again to Jeremiah chapter 2 and you'll find the third principle. This is verse 8. Defection often flourishes under relaxed or loose leadership. Defection often flourishes under loose leadership. Verse 8 says, the priests did never, they never asked, where is the Lord? Those who deal with the law did not know me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal, following worthless idols. In Israel's case, the, the leaders weren't doing their job. This was seen from the prophets who were supposed to be God's spokesmen. He was here to the scribes who handled, actually wrote out and then copied God's laws. And over time, people began to make their own rules. They began to neglect God's established code of ethics. We see this all the time in our country. Things that would have never even occurred to us. We see our nation wanting to embrace ideas and perspectives and values and morality. This is not our grandparents' nation, by the way. Did you all know that? Many, many changes have come. And they're not always good ones. For the modern church, defection can occur whenever you and I faithfully are warned. And we, the leaders of this church, if we fail to warn you, of the dangers of embracing compromise and spiritual neglect. And it is easy to do. We live in a busy, crazy world. Then there's the fourth principle. Defection involves two specific types of sin. You forsake that, is that which is true, the true God, the true way, the true wisdom we get from Scripture, and you embrace an empty substitute, a false substitute. You forsake the true God and embrace an empty substitute. Verse 13, my people have committed two sins, Jeremiah says. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that can't even hold water. See, not only do defectors abandon God, they replace him with poor substitutes. It's like trading a, a valuable diamond necklace for some cheap cosmetic jewelry. And not only do defectors abandon God, but they replace him. And then there's the fifth principle, number five. Defection provides its own consequences. Defection provides its own consequences. Verse 19. Your wickedness will punish you. Your backsliding will rebuke you. Consider then and realize how evil and bitter it is for you when you forsake the Lord your God and have no awe of me, declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty. You see, it isn't the Lord who loses when we defect. It's us. I think he feels lost in a sense because he's God. He's, he's our Heavenly Father. And every father should be anxious about his children. But the price of this defection is painfully high, and as crazy as it sounds, a lot of people are willing to pay the price. 
They volunteer to pay it, as a matter of fact. So, having listened to Jeremiah's uh, uh, warnings to the people of God, maybe you're thinking about some directions in your life that have not gone where you thought they might. Maybe you have drifted. Maybe the things that used to matter most to you don't matter as much anymore. Maybe you know people who are like that. Maybe you felt the stirrings of defection kind of rolling around in your own heart from time to time. And isn't it interesting, out of all the 52 Sundays of every year, you've landed here at the church for this crazy message on defection. I'm sure that's just by accident, aren't you? What I want to do is I want to wrap this up. Because maybe the Lord's speaking to your heart and, and he knows, as you know, the areas in which you have defected. I want to give you a simple remedy for this trial. If it describes your situation, I, I encourage you to listen carefully. If you're a child of God, you can never lose your citizenship in his kingdom, regardless of where you build your home. You cannot lose The tallest wall or the best guarded border or the widest ocean can never keep your heavenly father from pursuing you and me to the ends of the earth. And if you have doubts about that, listen to the words of King David, who had his own battles with defection. Psalm 139, verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, then you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, well, assuredly, the darkness will hide me and the light become as night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. For the night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. You see, friends, God's love for you and me. Now, this, is, this, is, this is the important place you've got to land after this message. I, I so encourage you to listen. If you love the Lord, understand God loved you first. We wouldn't even know how to love if it wasn't for God. Even though there's bitter consequences for our bad decisions, he will steadily and readily welcome us home. And when you're ready to return, God's message through Jeremiah offers you safe passage. Jeremiah 3 verse 12, return faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will frown on you no longer, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only, only acknowledge your guilt. You've rebelled against the Lord your God. You have scattered your favors to foreign gods under every spreading tree, and you have not obeyed me, declares the Lord. Now, remember the prodigal son in the New Testament? Well, maybe like him, you kind of squandered your spiritual inheritance. You wanted to do it your way. You wanted to make your own call about life, your own decisions. 
And as a result, you, you disregarded maybe some of the most important wisdom that God has to give us about life. And you probably paid the consequences for that. Most of us who are older here today, we can look back and see those, those moments when we suffered in one way or another. What I would encourage you to do is come to your senses and just come back home to the Father. He's like the parable Jesus told. The Father is watching and waiting and sees this prodigal coming from a distance. And you know what he never does? He doesn't get out his list and record of all the wrongs and things the kid did that he shouldn't do. He doesn't stand at the door waiting to blast him because he was a doofus. That's not in the Bible, by the way. Not that word. Concept is, but not that word. No. This guy, this dignified Jewish father, ran to meet this rascal of a son that he had. Who had come to his senses. And he'd come home, and instead of abuse and, and, and punishment and I told you so's, the guy just embraces his son. He said, welcome home. Been watching for you all this time. And that same God's waiting for some of us perhaps today. All you have to do is turn your steps toward home. And he will come running to embrace you with open arms. Heavenly Father, I thank you for our congregation. And I thank you for all these families represented here. And Lord, it's such a neat, neat thing to have been able to witness your movement in the lives of so many of our families. And Lord, I just ask that you would continue now to speak the truth of this particular sermon into our hearts long after we leave this building. Help us know, Father, that your truth is not just in little bites that we get and then just to ignore But we come here by faith to hear your word proclaimed because you speak the truth through scripture to our hearts directly. It's no third party here. It's just us, Father, and you. And Lord, I just thank you for the mercies that you've bestowed upon our congregation. Mercies you bestowed upon upon my family. And Lord, just help us come to you and say thank you. Help us accept your love and embrace it in return and reflect it everywhere we go. There's so many people that we rub shoulders with all the time that desperately need to see your face in ours. They need to see your ways in our behavior and attitudes. And so, Lord, as we consider these trials this summer, this particular trial is a very, very important one to help us remember Because we may be just one bad decision, one foolish mindset, and suddenly we're finding ourselves having defected from you, along with all the consequences that go with it. So, Lord, we love you. Thank you for your mercy and grace. Help us to embrace yours and to receive it. It's unconditional. You have no strings attached. And I pray this morning that we will respond to you in our hearts. In Jesus' name.